It's been a bit of a transition, but because we had the technology and the culture of working remotely, it hasn't been as hard on us as it has with some other firms who have decided to shutter their offices and stop meeting clients altogether. Welcome to the Wealth Navigator podcast, where you go behind the scenes with certified financial planner and portfolio manager, Richard Dree. You'll hear stories of how successful entrepreneurs navigated the unique opportunities and challenges facing their businesses and get tips from leading business consultants on how to break through to the next level in your business. And here's your host, Richard Dree. Hello, it's Richard Dree and welcome to the Richard Dree Wealth Navigator podcast, where my mission is to motivate entrepreneurs to become financially literate and to convert their high income into true wealth. With wealth, the entrepreneur can build a business free of financial constraints and can focus on their customers, their family, and their health. Today, my guest is Russell Alexander, the owner and founder of Russell Alexander Family Lawyers, and my first, second-time guest. And for those of you that are interested, check out his first podcast, which is number 26. I asked Russell to record a second podcast because so much has changed for lawyers and business owners during the pandemic. During the second podcast, we discussed the adjustments that Russell and his team implemented to operate in a virtual environment. Russell used daily Zoom meetings to keep in touch with his team and to ensure that they were fully engaged while working from home. He also hired two counselors to help the team with any mental health issues. He conducted all his client meetings through Zoom, and he actually commented on how effective Zoom can be in seeing the reactions of certain issues on the face of other people. His clients received documents electronically and forms were signed by using an app called DocuSign. Russell mentioned that the legal profession has seen a drop in billings, but the average decline is difficult to quantify because the drop is different for each field of law. We discuss how difficult the pandemic has been on couples, and Russell notes that separations are up significantly in the UK and China, and he expects the same trend to occur in North America in the near future. Perhaps some of the biggest parenting issues that Russell has come across deal with one parent deciding to restrict a child's access because of the risk of infection. Russell indicated that courts have generally treated these cases as urgent, and even though they've been closed, they have heard these cases. Usually they conclude that the access to the child should continue during the pandemic as it happened before. Russell introduces his new book called Everything You Wanted to Know About Divorce, and he gives us some highlights of the book. Be sure to listen to the end where Russell explains and provides advice for business owners, for marriage, and for divorce, and all three of them during a pandemic. And with that introduction, I hope you enjoy my interview with Russell Alexander. Well, welcome, Russell, and thank you for being my first, second-time guest of the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Richard. Did I get a prize for making it to the (laughs) second round, or why? It sounds like playoffs. Yeah, you've made it to the second round of the round robin, but I thought... uh, the light, life has changed so much since you and I spoke a few months back that I thought it was necessary to bring you back in and ask you some of the questions that I did before. But this time, in light of the pandemic and how you've 
manage to work around it. Sure. So thank you again. So we've been in this pandemic for about four months now. How has your law office been operating differently in this particular environment? Environment. What have you had to do to carry on? Yeah, we're operating about 95% capacity remote. Uh, we're fairly lucky, Richard. We had a culture of working remotely for several years. So it was a relatively easy transition for us. Right just before we went on to lockdown, we decided to do a network test and have everybody work remotely from home. So we made that decision on Monday to run the network test on the following Tuesday. This is near the end of March. And then um, we ended up closing the physical offices before we could run our network test. So a bit of a stressful period, but the network held up. Some things that we're doing differently now is we have daily Zoom meetings with the team. So traditionally, we our full team would meet once, once a week. We would have lunch together and talk about what we have coming up the following week. We changed that to daily meetings because we thought it was important to stay connected. There was a lot of uncertainty. Our staff members were scared. They were scared of layoffs. Uh, the rules seem to be changing almost daily or hourly with respect to public health notices and information about the pandemic. We started working with our clients via Zoom, doing Zoom settlement meetings. We implemented a program called DocuSign, so we can sign documents electronically. We don't need to meet in person. Adobe has a system, a similar program, which is quite good from what I understand. And only just recently, within the last week or so, we started implementing our plan to reopen our offices. Uh, some of the locations are already at phase two. So we got safety protocols in place. It would be by appointment only, only one client allowed in the office at a time. Our firm has been divided into two teams. So team one will work Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Team two will work Tuesday and Thursday. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday and Thursday, and then they rotate. Uh, and that reduces the number of people in the office. So it's been a bit of a transition, but because we had the technology and the culture of working remotely, it hasn't been as hard on us as it has with some other firms who have decided to shutter their offices and stop meeting clients altogether. So how have you found clients reacting to a video call or a Zoom meeting instead of the one-on-one -on -one meeting where they could see you and you could see them, you could see their body language, and then you could react accordingly? I understand video obviously is next best. But how have clients reacted to that change? Initially, uh, clients were really receptive to it. They didn't want to get sick either. They're, they want to social distance and stay safe. Uh, so they've been very open to the Zoom meetings and the video conferences. Just got to be practical and patient for you know people using their phones or iPads or who haven't been on Zoom meetings. There's a bit of a learning curve. 
there's some Zoom etiquette that's involved in terms of having remote meetings, and we've created a list of tips for Zoom etiquette. And in many respects, and I've heard judges say this, it's sometimes easier to get the body language with Zoom. In-person meeting, we might be 10 feet apart. With a Zoom meeting, you have a close-up picture of the person's face, and you can tell their reaction to certain things almost instantly uh, up close as opposed to being at a distance. But you're right, there is a bit of a a disconnect in not having the in-person meetings. But Richard, it could be like this for a while. We just don't know how long it's going to be until things get back to normal. Now, have you made a decision whether or not you'll continue some of these practices, such as, as you indicated, a daily Zoom meeting or client Zoom meetings or even the the DocuSign? Are you going to continue that process or would you go back to your old ways? We're going to continue it as much as possible. The daily Zoom meetings, we scaled back somewhat as we returned to the workplace. So the, the daily team meetings we're going to do twice a week instead of five days a week. Initially, I think it was important for our team members to have that connection because things were changing so rapidly just to be able to connect with the team once a day. Kind of anchored everybody and helped us maintain our routine and our and our firm culture. What would you talk about, Russell? Would, would you be talking about files or would more of a personal approach? How, how are you feeling? How are the kids? It was a blend. So we would have a topic, an icebreaker question, sort of, um, you know, what what was the top Netflix show that you've been watching or something of that nature. We talk about technology, whether people are having issues with technology in their home uh, and how we can improve it. We talk about client files that we're working on. And we would usually have a new and new section of the meeting where we talk about new cases that are out new protocols that are coming out or practice directions from the superior court and changes to the court system as they progressed. So there's actually, there's quite a bit to talk about surprisingly each and every day, simply because probably 20 to 30 minutes depends on the topic, but things were changing almost daily initially during this process, Richard, especially with the justice system. I totally agree. Even on the investment side or the market side, but also psychologically, people were were changing like by the hour, right? Uh, in right. terms of feeling less or more <laughs> anxious. We hired two counselors for our team just to help people deal with the stress and the emotional turmoil of the pandemic, and they were offered for free. So our team members were able to access counseling services if and when they needed it as well. Just recognizing their this has taken a, a toll on everybody's mental health. One of the things that I worry about, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, and you probably thought of this already too, is all this stuff that we're doing on the internet. A lot of it, as you know, very, very confidential. How do you ensure the privacy of the information that it isn't stolen, it isn't somehow blocked? Um, there have been, and I'm not sure how much uh, validity there is, but the Zoom meetings or Zoom itself had some in, some issues whereby the security was or potentially could have been compromised. But I always get nervous when we start putting more and more stuff on the internet, and that increases the ability or the odds of being somehow corrupted. What did you do to ensure that the files were safe and could not be stolen? 
by a third party. First thing is watch out for spams. Don't click on any unnoticed emails. Uh, what we do is if we have a suspicious email entered the network, we'll have our IT person check it out before we open it up. We exchange our documents securely through various platforms with passwords, including Dropbox. We have our firewalls, which make sure that our network uh, antivirus updates are current. With respect to Zoom meetings, initially, Richard, there was some bad press and they had some bad experience with the default Zoom settings. It didn't require a password. So if the invitation link went public or was posted on a webinar or some kind of public forum, people could Zoom bomb your meetings and then display graphic images or disrupt the meeting. I think uh, now all Zoom meetings we conduct are password secure, and uh, they've really improved the technology. DocuSign has several um, verification uh, mechanisms, including geo-tracking to determine where the person is using the program. So there's a lot of safeguards built into the software programs now. And you just got to use your common sense. Do not log into public Wi-Fi. Don't share your Wi-Fi cloud password with your your neighbors or other people. And that goes a long way to help ensuring that your communication is secure. From your standpoint, how has your business been affected financially by the pandemic? Well, I think across the board for lawyers in the legal industry, billings and revenues are down. We're starting or hopefully starting to see a swing to that pattern uh, in the other direction with uh, various parts of the province starting to open up again. Expenses are relative. Some are fixed. So you have your fixed expenses that you cannot get out of. Some are variable. Some of our team members uh, get a percentage of their billings as their pay. So if they're not earning as much, that reduces our payroll. Also, less travel, less commuting, fewer flights. I usually speak at conferences throughout North America, so I'm not booking hotel rooms or traveling. So all those expenses have dropped as well. Now, in terms of your revenues, could you give us a ballpark? Is it down 10%, 20%, 50%, just a range? Uh, I can't speak for the industry. Um, it, it depends on the area of law that you practice. So some fields have completely um, been impacted, such as criminal defense lawyers and Legal aid with the courts slowing down and effectively only dealing with urgent matters. Their business has really dried up. Family matters, it's not as bad. We're still able to do meetings remotely and alternative dispute resolution. And it's kind of industry specific, depending on what area of, I think, employment law uh, is seeing a bit of a boom with respect to all the issues involving employees and taking leaves and laying off people. Some real estate has gone flat, others haven't. Uh, It's sort of all over the map in terms of how it's affecting the legal field. I've got to ask you, this is a sort of loaded question. (laughs) Are divorces up during the pandemic? People are living together. Well, they're always living together, but now they're living together 24-7. Is that causing underlying issues 
regarding the family or the way they operate together? Is that causing them to seek divorces, couples that is? The short answer to your question is they're up and they're going to get higher. If what we see overseas in the UK and China are any indication. And just we need to distinguish initially, Richard, the separation from divorce, right? To get a divorce, there's a one-year one cooling off period. So you're not going to see a spike in divorce certificates until this cooling off period runs. But you're going to see a spike in people separating. And it could take some time to settle. Divorce orders are signed by judges. They're only dealing with urgent or pressing matters right now. But we're seeing a spike in people separating and seeking a divorce. And I guess the analogy I would use, Richard, when couples retire, we also sometimes see a spike in divorce. You know, the, the couples are not working anymore. There was a stay-at-home spouse, and then the other spouse is at home full-time. And they realize they just can't stand spending 24 hours a day, seven days a week with each other. So that, you know, you see this graying of divorce where with more people retiring, the spike occurs when they're both living at home. So spending too much time together can add stress to the relationship. Lots of other stressors out there that could be causing people deciding now is the time to move on from their relationship. People are experiencing job losses. There's stress of homeschooling for younger children, unstable internet connections, adjusting to new routines. Maybe both spouses are working from home and trying to carve out their own space. So this new normal, unfortunately, is not working out for a lot of families. And for some some relationships, there could be underlying problems that have been there for a few years, and the pandemics just brought that to the top. So separations do not require a court uh, a court case. Is that what you meant by that earlier comment, Russell? So I could get a separation agreement just by myself, like two couples could get one without any legal help or any court help. Yeah, it's kind of an important concept, Richard. You're separated when one spouse decides the relationship's over and you're not going to reconcile. So you don't need a document from a judge or a lawyer to say that you're officially separated. Lots of people live separate and apart under the same roof before they actually negotiate a separation agreement or get a divorce order. Some people physically separate, but that isn't uh, a requirement to separate. So separating is sort of the first step of getting your divorce finalized, and it applies to common law spouses as well not just married couples. So if the courts are either closed or only accepting the urgent cases, how do you get a divorce today? So so you've gone through the separation agreement, a year has gone by. Can you get an official divorce, especially if you wanted to remarry? Yeah, it's unlikely the court would consider that urgent. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, and there's a backlog now of four or five months of cases Plus, they're the, they're the cases that all got adjourned when the courts decided to shut down and only deal with urgent matters. Interesting enough, Richard, it's actually easier now, in my, respect, in my view, to get a divorce. Apart from getting the divorce judgment signed, we have Zoom and Skype meetings. Uh, we're conducting our meetings remotely. You'll find that 
many lawyers and other professionals, their calendars are starting to open up. So we're having fewer in-person meetings. We're not commuting to the office or to the court. We're not having in-person court hearings. Uh, So we can actually schedule a settlement meeting rather quickly now. We use a program called Divorce Help, which is um, developed out of the Collaborative Practice Institute. So that's high-efficiency legal process. And we use that using collaborative practice techniques. We were recently able to settle the terms of a family's divorce in under seven days. So that's how quickly it can occur. And that was executed and all the agreements were signed electronically using DocuSign. Provided that you're prepared to use technology, you can certainly move forward with negotiating the terms of your divorce in a relatively straightforward manner. Yeah, I'm a little confused though, Russell. You're saying the court's are backlogged and, and they're only looking at emergency cases. Right. In this particular example you just gave, the seven-day, did you call it separation or seven-day divorce? Well, it's divorce help. So that's just the term we gave it. So what we okay. did, Richard, is we settled the terms of their divorce. So they've agreed on all the issues in a separation agreement. So when the court opens up and is starting to process divorce applications, we can simply file the terms of that separation with the court gotcha. and get a divorce order. Gotcha. The divorce order is still ultimately signed by a judge. The lawyers don't sign it. So we'll still have to wait for the courts to open up to get the divorce order finalized. Yeah. Now they couldn't go back and renege or try to renegotiate because it's, in essence, it's settled. You're bound by the written agreement. And that sort of goes back to our earlier comment where I thought uh, it's highly unlikely the court would consider finalizing a divorce order, an urgent matter. They would certainly deal with parenting issues and other issues that are uh, much more urgent at this time. Yeah, and I actually want to go into that area. Now, how do you handle custody and child access during a pandemic? Is that something people have used against against each other? Or have they cooperated and ensured that they wouldn't get each other sick? Like How, how have they handled that? Yeah, this has been difficult, and the court's been grappling with this, and you've probably seen a lot a lot of news stories and media stories about parenting issues during the pandemic, and it's posed a lot of problems for a lot of families. The biggest concern are these parents who do self-help. So what that means is you just decide to take the child and not return the child, or you're going to use the pandemic to change the custody arrangement or the parenting times, or the overhold access. Let's just say their visit was to end on Sunday night and they're to return the child, but they just don't return the child. So this creates a lot of problems, uh, or they deny access, right? They just simply say, you're not going to see your child during the pandemic. And there's lots of parents who do this. Some are doing it for nefarious purposes. They want to rearrange the parenting regime. Others are doing it because they're legitimately scared. They don't want their children to get sick. They don't want their children going out into the community. And this was especially so, Richard, during the first six to eight weeks of the pandemic when we just didn't know, right, um, how people were catching this and, and the proper safety protocols. So 
A lot of the cases involved first responders and healthcare workers working in hospitals. Parents didn't want children going to those homes because they were concerned they were, the healthcare worker was going to bring it home. Supervised access was another big issue. The supervised access centers have closed. So how does a parent have supervised access to, to a child? Blended families was an issue. So you've got the Brady Bunch or yours, mine, and ours type family relationships. And parents were concerned that their children would be exposed to step-siblings and potentially catch the virus. So the court really struggled with these issues. Um, Really, if parents are following safety protocols, the orders were that access is to continue. And if parents were taking self-help and changing parenting arrangements, then the court would consider that urgent and make an order to deal with the issue. So the courts have treated custody, visitation, child access as priorities. They are of the view that children's best interests are served when they have a good and meaningful relationship with both parents. And the court has been actively dealing with these cases, even though um, it's closed, they're dealing with it on an urgent basis. Let's rotate a bit and go to another topic. Um, I'm concerned that some of my business owner clients either are starting to look at divorce or they're in the middle of a divorce. And I'm obviously I have no expertise in the divorce procedure, but I am concerned about the actual business that they've operated. Either they've operated it together or he or she did most of the work. And now that the the marriage seems to be headed in the direction of a breakup, what can you recommend that business owners do to minimize the loss of a business? Or And I'm, I'm not even trying to look at it from the point of view of taking advantage of him or her. What would be a fair way to settle your business after a divorce, but not put it to the point where it's no longer viable. There could be employees and, and there could be long-term clients, but make it fair to the husband and the wife or the couple, but also make it fair for the, for the company to continue operating. What do you recommend business owners do to, to, try, to try to do both? Richard, that's an issue that divorce lawyers struggle with prior to the pandemic and uh, it's amplified now. So we, we run a program, it's called Saving the Golden Goose, Helping Small Businesses uh, Thrive and Survive After Divorce. Divorce is hard on business, especially if it's a small business or a family-run business. It can destroy the business, and it's in the family's interest to keep this golden goose going so it can continue to provide wealth and jobs and a legacy for the family. And, you know, businesses have special needs and criteria, right? They have, they may have capitalization requirements with the bank. They may have, or they're certainly likely to be experiencing a loss of sales or business as a result of the pandemic. The value of the business may have changed significantly as a result of the pandemic. So if your clients are going through a divorce, they may not, the legislation says you use the date of separation value, which may have predated the pandemic. Now, 10 months later, 
the value of the business is significantly less. How do we deal with that? The legislation says you're supposed to use the earlier date. So what we do, Richard, is um, what I do specifically is we would approach it collaboratively. We would bring in a team that would include a financial neutral. It would include a family neutral. Often with businesses, we have what we call a Greek chorus, so family members or other people in the background. could be a shareholder or business partner who has an interest in the outcome of the divorce in terms of what their business interest is going to look like. So we, by doing it collaboratively, we focus on goals and interests, and we focus on keeping the business viable so it can continue to produce for the family. And by doing it collaboratively, Richard, we can come up with results and outcomes that a court cannot order. Dealing with small businesses or family-run businesses or even large businesses The court's got a small box in terms of options it can proceed with. Usually it involves the sale of a business, which at this time may result in a significant loss to whatever the value was. But we can do legacy planning. We can do if and when scenarios. We can delay any potential payment from the business to the spouse who's leaving to accommodate the business needs. Uh, There's a number of options that we can do, and we can be very creative about it. You also want to consider tax planning. Um, You're going to want to maximize any tax savings that you can in any final agreement that you come up with. And also doing, you're going to want to deal with CRA and potentially avoid any audits that may be triggered by a business valuation or a share transfer or change to the corporate structure. So there's a lot that goes into that question, Richard. We could probably just spend an hour talking about that one question. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, do you have a a short answer for something that you should do before you enter a phase of a marriage separation? Is there anything that the owners of a business should put into place? In terms of sort of a pre-separation? Yeah, I guess a prenuptial agreement or some kind of an agreement in the event that if there was a divorce or a marriage breakdown, the following things would happen. Would that be something that you would recommend doing? A, a domestic contract or a marriage agreement is always helpful. Most couples that are going into their second or third marriages, it's quite common to have a domestic contract. If this was a business that somebody is bringing into a marriage, and it may be a family-run business, for example, Domestic contracts are a good way to ensure that that legacy continues. If you're already married and you want to enter into an agreement with respect to how the business is going to be dealt with, that's an option as well. But it's important for everybody to get legal advice to make sure they understand what they're signing. Otherwise, the contract might be set aside by the court as being unfair. Okay. Russell, you've got a new book, I notice, uh, and you called it interesting, uh, Everything You Wanted to Know About Divorce. Right. So, uh, <laughs> let me, could you tell us a couple things briefly that we should know, but we were afraid to ask? Yeah. This is a, a project we were actually working on for about 18 months, and it was set to go to press in January. And then with we could see the pandemic, the effects overseas, and we knew it was just a matter of time before it hit North America. So we put the book on hold. And um, recently, 
I just penned a new chapter to the book, which includes everything you want to know about divorce during a pandemic, because the rules had changed so much. And it's gone to press. It should be available in the next week or two. Uh, We're really excited about it. In the book, we explain to our clients and whoever picks up the book the changes and what to expect in terms of divorce during a pandemic. We do indicate there's a silver lining in all this in many respects, and we talk about that. We have advice for couples who are experiencing problems in terms of tips to avoid separation. So we interviewed two social workers and came up with a plan to help people avoid divorce. We talk about how we use divorce help to settle the terms of an agreement in under seven days. And in many respects, the professionals I deal with have become much more efficient in addressing clients' needs and getting matters resolved. The long-term silver effect, silver lining, hopefully this will help make the court more efficient, less dependent on paper, and able to deal with people going through divorce, able to deal with their matters in a more timely way. Sounds like a very useful book. Definitely look forward to reading it. Now, as we close, Russell, is there anything that you'd like to provide in terms of advice or recommendations or even a suggestion or two that other business owners, people that are running professional practices like you, whether they be accountants or lawyers or, or anybody who's incorporated, any advice that you might give them in terms of either running their business or even their marriage, how to, how to keep it together? I think we could all use some help in, in both of those areas. Any advice? Yeah. In terms of the business and even your marriage routine is really important. So if you can kind of try to maintain the same routine for your staff, weekly or daily staff meetings is great. Same with your spouse. Keeping a routine is really important. Exercise together, cook together, go for walks. There's lots of things that we talk about in our book. And with respect to the issue of divorce, Richard, I think my advice would be keep in mind there's alternative dispute resolution. There's collaborative practice. It doesn't have to be this horror story that you see on TV or that your neighbor, your friend told you about their experience. Be reasonable and be practical. There is a process that is respectful, it's peaceful, and it helps people get a resolution, provided you choose the right professionals and the right team to help you through it. And the the professionals are out there, they're willing to help, and there's lots of great trained lawyers and collaborative professionals that are settling these cases every day. So there's hope at the end of the tunnel. Very good. Well, Russell, again, I thank you for all the valuable information you gave us both on, a, on, the, on the matter of divorce, but also from the point of view of, of your own personal experiences with running a business that is in multiple locations during the pandemic. I, I, know, I know it wasn't easy for you to do that. It hasn't been easy for all of us. Hopefully, we, we get a resolution quickly, but that word quickly is unknown. It could be a week. It could be a Oh, I doubt it'd be a week, but it'd probably be a few months still. So best of luck with your book and your practice. And uh, maybe we'll have you on again. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Uh, hopefully be your first, third, repeat. <laughs> I look forward to it. Thank you. Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a business owner? Check out our blog, Live Well, Stay Rich, and Never Retire 
at www.richarddree.ca, where Richard covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies specifically for business owners. By subscribing to our blog, you'll receive exclusive member content and complimentary books written by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Get it all now at www.richarddree.ca.